Petersfield's Shine Radio. This is Talking Books, presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly. Hello, I'm Susie Wilde, and you're listening to Talking Books. And I'm Tim O'Kelly of One Tree Books, with news of all the latest books to look out for. We are well and truly in the year of the rabbit, and I'm delighted to welcome award-winning author Eva Wong-Narva, who's here with us now. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Eva. Um, and I'm looking forward to chatting about her books, in particular The House of Little Sisters, a YA novel, and I Love Chinese New Year, which is a picture book, which is illustrated by Jin Li. Well, let's start as usual, but I'm just going to do two very quickly, unusually. Um, their escapism, which I needed for various reasons, and I'm just really quickly going to whiz through The Marlowe Murder Club by Robert Thorogood, um, which I actually really enjoyed. So anyone who um, likes uh, Richard Osman, and Eva and I will be talking later about celebrity authors, won't we, Eva? Um, but if you enjoyed that, you'll certainly like this. And he's, you know, death in paradise and so on. But it is... It is really he's, good He's a fun. TV writer, isn't he's he? He's a TV mm. writer. You can, you can, it reads a bit like a TV script, but he really knows how to set up character and so on. And it's fun. It's really, it was good fun. And I had your cold, Tim, and I felt really rotten on the week that I read it. So perfect. So is it, is it a procedural or is it, is it a kind of... No, is it's, it, it's, it's exactly... Cozy, cozy crime. Cozy crime. Oh, okay. Clever old ladies. That okay. sort of thing. Um, and the second is The Lamplighters by Emma Stonex, which um, ah, won lots yeah. of awards and so on. And yeah. I've got to say, if anyone does try it, I made about four different starts to it and I wondered why. And I realised it's because there are about four different protagonists and two different time frames. And I find every time you shift time or point of view protagonist, you're saying to the reader, bear with me. This will all bear fruit. And I just get slightly bored with that if I'm not careful. And other better books came in between, not least, Eva's. Right. Um, but when I went back to it and was able to read it through at a great lick, suddenly, yes, it, it is it worth bearing together. with. And yeah. it did come together. Mm. I think that's really interesting. I've just read, uh, I think we talked about it before, Cloud Cuckoo Land uh, by Anthony Dewar. And it's got three different time periods and it's got um, quite a few characters as well. But but you spend quite a lot of time with one character at a time. So you really get under the skin and things are going quite well. And he manages to move you on to the next time zone or the next character pretty efficiently. So you don't feel that you're stopping and starting. And, and uh, so that works quite well. Mm. So, Tim, what have you been reading over the last month? Well, as I mentioned last month, I'm reading Tom Hanks's new novel, um, making another major motion picture masterpiece, which I did finish. It's a big book, actually. Um, and I did enjoy it. It's, it's, I now know how to make a major motion picture, which Excellent. is fantastic. Um, and it's not very easy, by, by all accounts. Quite I compli- be trying. Quite complicated. Um, but I did, I did, you know, it was, it's a really interesting read. And um, he, he can definitely write. It's, it's, uh, it's not perfect, and I think the, it's quite long. It doesn't need to be quite as long as it is, but I, um, I'm glad I read it. So that's that, I read that. Um, My Father's House by Joseph O'Connor, uh, which is a really interesting book. He did Star of the Sea, I don't know if you remember oh, that. Oh, yes. Big book. And he's, um, this time he's written a book about a, a priest in the Vatican in Rome during the Second World War. 
and uh, this priest basically takes pity on the on the escaped prisoners of war who start to flood into Rome when they escape from prisoners of war camps once the Germans have have basically occupied Rome, but they don't occupy the Vatican, which stays separate within the middle this of is Rome. A separate country. Yes, but they didn't, they didn't. They didn't. They never crossed the line. They were literally. They drew a line around um, St Peter's, um, around the square, and on one side of the line you were in, in the Vatican. The other side of the line you were in Rome, and so as soon as a priest stepped over the line, he was in occupied territory. It was kind of. It's a very strange idea. Anyway, what ha- it's a it's a battle of wills between this this uh, this Irish priest and the head of the. Uh, the occupying German forces, who's a particularly nasty piece mm. of work, as you might imagine, and um, and the, the the opportunity to try and get these British and and Australian and, and American and uh, French soldiers out of the Vatican and out of Italy altogether and, and back to the back to where they come from. So it's a um, it's a cracking story. It's based on a true story, and um, it reads it reads really well. So that was, I enjoyed that, and I'm currently reading. Confessions by Ed Sturton, the um, the uh, TV broadcaster. Oh yes, radio, so that's radio. like the companion memoir to, to the other one you've really enjoyed. Your I'm Justin Webb. Yes, indeed. Um, and Ed is is, is uh, well, Edward. I'm not sure what we call him, but we're very familiar. We call him Ed. He's uh, he's a um, it's a very interesting character, and uh, he's he can write pretty well as well. I, I I'm finding it it uh, quite revelatory. Which is so that's good. I think the fact that he's had this slightly checkered career, that he has he's got to the top and then slightly been edged out sideways because either he was too old or he was too posh or he was or he was too something or anyway. Um and um in contrast to, to Justin Webb whose whose job he took, uh I think they're both very good broadcasters, both very different. And um so uh, yeah, I think that's that's interesting. <laughs> I've heard so much about you, Eva, from uh, another of our recent guests, Camilla Chester, who I think met you at an SCBWI. How did you meet Camilla? So Camilla, um, well, we're with the SCBWI, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Um, it's the SCBWI British Isles. Um, that's where I met um, Camilla. And we just got on because we're, you know, writers, similar topics. And um, and um, I was interested in self-publishing before, and I wanted to, you know, ask her and um, just share a lot of things in common. And we met um, up again uh, in Manchester last year during the SCBWI conference. Yeah, and Candy Gawley was there. Oh, so Candy's okay. going to be our guest in April with her book Wild Song. Oh, love that book. So it's fantastic. Um, now, Eva uh, is now based in London, mm-hmm. passionate about how her culture, heritage and people are represented in all media. Yes. And Eva was born on a tropical island um, where a heraldic animal spurts water, apparently. Um, her ancestors braved monsoon winds sailing from the Middle Kingdom to British Malaya to plant roots in South East Asia. When the winds changed, her relatives sailed again and found another home somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, Braving snow, storms and hail. Now, Tim hasn't gone especially poetic, I want you to know, but this is what Eva has written herself in your bio on your website, and I just loved it. (laughs) 
So if we cut Eva in half, what would be in the middle? What, what, do, what nationality do you feel? That's a great question. Um, I always say I'm a third culture adult. <laughs> because I was born in Singapore I left Singapore um, in 1991 end of 91 um, and I came to England and I've been here since except for seven years um, where my husband and my two children um, we had a short um, sojourn in, uh, back in Singapore uh, that was in 2013 and 2020 I came back again um, in 2020 so, um, I'm a third culture adult, as I said, but home is here. Home is England for most of the time. I'm nostalgic about Singapore, I would say. Singapore of your childhood? Yeah, or? Singapore of my childhood. Okay. So, I'm nostalgic about Singapore. Um, when we went back, when, I, when the family and I went back to live again, I found that the country had changed so much, I didn't recognise it. You know, and I actually was, um, and I found myself yearning for a, a past in Singapore, for, you know, what I knew growing up. Um, so the past being the 70s and the 80s. I'm telling my age now, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you look great. You know, thank you. But, you know, and, that, and that, that part, that bit of Singapore doesn't quite, ex- they don't ex- it doesn't exist anymore, I would say. It's gone. Because it's now so modern and, you know, all very good. So do you good. feel exiled from the country or exiled from your childhood? or How does that feel? I don't exactly feel exiled. Or if, it, if I am, then it's kind of a self-imposed, I guess. Um, well, that's great. Yeah. But it interests me, you see, that you've chosen on the House <laughs> of Little Sisters, you've gone back to British Malaya of the 30s, which... Yeah, I'm too young for that. You are too young. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, so why? How did that come about? So I love historical fiction as a genre. I, I read historical fiction because I love learning about history and I learn more about history through historical fiction, let's just say. So when, we, when I was li- living in Singapore, um, I saw that, you know, like there were a lot of families who had helpers or domestic helpers um, and I, I saw also how codependent um, the relationship was between the helper and the families. And I guess I asked myself, like, why? Why is it like that? And I wanted to see if there was a history behind that. And because I asked what, I asked why, you know, it led to what should I do? And I went and trawled archives, um, National Singapore, um, the National Archives of Singapore that's linked to the National Archives here. Um, and I found documents, um, Hansard reports on um, a, a, a problem or, or, or what the British administration called the Muay Thai problem. Um, that, a lot of these Hansard reports actually um, were from Hong Kong. It, that got me interested. And so I thought, you know, because it, with it being a, a Chinese um, export, I would say, so the, the culture is Chinese from the mainland and it was brought to Hong Kong. So I thought there must be some link to British Malaya. And then I found um, um, a digital um, copy of the Muay Thai Ordinance of 1932 that is specifically written 
um, a piece of legislation specific to British Malaya. And that just, that was the setting for my story. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what a, a Muetsai is. I will do. Good yeah. pronunciation too. That's a great pronunciation, yeah. Um, so Muetsai are bonded servant girls. The word Muetsai is a Cantonese term. Mui for girl, Tsai for little. So put together, Muetsai just means little girl. Um, because they didn't call these um, girls servants they were sold really um to rich households um and because of poverty from a really young age from a really young age yes so there are historical documents of um documentation of the girls being sold um somewhere as young as five six years old and obviously because the families were poor um you know no contraception, I guess, lots of kids, no money, you know, it's quite Victorian in some ways. And um, and these girls are literally sold to richer, rich households who would buy them for like, um, the hands up reports record like, you know, $70 or I mean, it would talk, um, to $180, you know, nothing. And, and, um, and these girls are then bonded, they live in the family home of their um, so-called employer um, and the onus is on the employer is to marry them off at 18. Um, that's if they um, reach the age of 18 um, and that's, that's the owner's responsibility but a lot don't get there. This is a lot of, you know, it's a lot of abuse, a lot of mishandling um, so it became a problem for the British administration, um, who found it really difficult to solve it, even through the ordinances that they um, had written. Mm. So it's like a kind of indentured labour, or some in some way that you 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 you're not quite the possession of of the uh, of the employer, but you're ev- everything but really. Exactly, it is endangered servitude, um, and in the in the in the legislation in the ordinance of nineteen thirty two, it actually has like a legalese that says that, that uses the word ownership, um, property, you know, and it's quite interesting to for me when I read that ordinance and I thought, oh wow, and it obliged in nineteen thirty two. British Malaya, Malayans were obliged, who kept Muay Thai, were obliged to register them, to make them legal, um, to legalise them, because a lot of them were just, you know, under the table dealings, right? So, um, and a, a lot of families actually didn't. Hmm. So that problem w- was a, a um, kind of a situation where the Chinese um, felt that they were not um, buying these servants, they were actually adopting these girls because little girl, Muay literally means little girl. So there's no no word to say that they're servants. Mm-hmm. Right. So it is actually quite an, it's 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 a it's a it's, um, it's an export, like I said, and it is also um, the way society was um, organized. Well, what struck me really powerfully in it um and i must say that your research is worn very lightly so it you know i love that and just got completely involved in the story but i hadn't realized that there was so much sort of polygamy so you'd have mr lee in this Mm. would would have several wives Mm. of various ages and so 
that that anybody in the house was really um, a sex slave, really. He was certainly available, made available, should he wish to have them, with the exception of the cook. Yeah. So was that, was that some... Is that normal? I mean, in your research, did you find that, that, that there were some servants who had more honourable... Let's call it honourable positions, so that they were unmolested? And she was unmarried, is that... Because that, again, you've said it's Victorian, it's just made me think, oh, actually, that bit reminds me of some Victorian households as well. Yeah, that's that's a great question, actually. So, before the Cultural Revolution, or, you know, before China became communist, um, the marriage system was polygamous. So a man, and it's always a man, can have as many wives <laughs> as they can possibly have. Um, and And you'll find that wealthier men have more wives and obviously it's all to do with the patriarchy as well right you you know the wives are the providers of sons so if wife number one doesn't give him sons let's go back to henry the (laughs) eighth you know um he gets another wife who would hopefully give him sons yeah well, it's all about sons, actually. Henry so. VIII had them beheaded. Oh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know which yeah. is better. <laughs> I mean, it's not just, and it's not to say that... Just that, two. <laughs> just two, exactly. It's, and it's not to say that these things didn't happen in, you know, like um, a home like Eminent Mr. Lee's, where he is the patriarch, and they live within walls, right? Someone could die accidentally you know and you know and because you know he's a man in his castle right he, he's 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 the lord of his castle and he does what he wants it's exactly that i, I mean, love that yeah. he's such a shadowy character in this if he's all powerful yeah he's like the wizard in the wizard of Oz, you know he doesn't really come center stage yeah. he affects everybody else's life he has a presence i love that yeah. yeah. So it's quite it's quite a, it's quite a dark story, I think, and um, and must be quite a must be quite tough to write. I thought in t- at times, you know, sort of that uh, going back into the the historical record and um, examining what, what was actually going on then is is quite is mm. quite gritty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is your first your first novel, full yeah. full length novel, and have you got plans to do to do more? Have you got uh, mm-hmm. or what's next anyway? That's a that's a Key question. So at the moment, I'm writing a middle grade um, anthology of um, folk tales and fairy tales and legends um, that's in the pipeline, and, and and I'm working on a middle grade novel, um, which also involves a, a bit of cultural history, because um, I feel that they're quite lacking in this country, the history of East and Southeast Asia. There's a lot of contemporary stuff. Um, you know, with East and Southeast Asian characters, um, but not very many um, history books for for younger children. Right. Yeah. So there'll be non-fiction for use in schools. Oh, this, or is, this will be fiction. They will fiction, be fiction, but it's, it's but historical fiction right. again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But I, I suspect it's because we don't study. It's not part of our curriculum. Right. Right. So um, the kinds of historical fiction you get in this, in, in England um, is is cu- curriculum linked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know like World War Two, 
So, and um, you do school visits. I do school you? visits. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. So you're covering all the bases because the, um, the I love Chinese New Year, but which we'll come to in a, in a minute. This is, is a is a picture flat for the for sort of you know uh, for very for young 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 children, and you've got middle grade covered, and now you've got young adult covered. Yeah. So you're covering all the bases. Fantastic. Tell us a bit about I love Chinese New Year. Yeah. So I love Chinese New Year's a picture book. Um, it's uh, of this family who is Chinese, British Chinese, um, celebrating the Lunar New Year. And it goes through the rituals and the, tra- the traditional rituals and um, of the celebrations. Um, so just, just, to- to, just to stop you at that point, because I'm intrigued as to... Because uh, I was looking at the book and it's got this about it's that it's the Lunar New Year. So tell us what, the, what, what is the difference between... Um, I mean, what do the three things actually mean? I mean, you are... The, the, Sort of Western New Year, Chinese New Year, and the Lunar New Year. Of course, they, you know, Eva said they never call it Chinese New Year, just like we don't call it Gregorian no. calendar or something. I'm doing it was just a thing. But 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 then say about the Xin Li, her illustrator yes. as well, because that really is pertinent. Yeah, it's interesting because they wanted Scholastic is the publisher, and they wanted me to call it "I Love Lunar New Year." And when I wrote the book and the story, it's a nested narrative. So, so there's a story within a story. And the, the, the new year or the lunar new year is seen through the eyes of a little girl, Mei An. But she's Chinese and she calls it, you know, she says, you know, I'm, you know, a new moon, a new celebration. You know, the, the new lunar new year is coming tomorrow. She says, I can't quote the book now. And when I came to the end, when I, when it's time to, title the book I just called it I love Chinese New Year and the publisher said well we need to be um, inclusive and call it Lunar New Year so the the term Lunar New Year includes um, Tet which is the Vietnamese New Year same day celebrated the same day it includes Siolal which is the Korean New Year which also um, is celebrated on the same day and the Mongolian New Year as well whose name I, I will not say because I shall massacre it. Uh, <laughs> we so wouldn't know. That, that <laughs> so, so how do you... Ha, uh, sorry, for a, for a Gregorian calendar user, how do you, how do you ascertain which is, the, which is the date, which is the, the <coughs> Lunar New Year? So it's called the Lunar New Year because we go by the moon, right? So every year, this celebration or this festival um, does not fall on the same date. It falls between like mid-January to mid-February, so this year, it was celebrated on January the twenty second, and next year it will change again. It all depends on the cycle of the moon. Because we've got we just got a, a new, there's a full moon last night, wasn't there? So, yes. So. Thank you for but, for actually mentioning that. So last night was the fifteenth day of the Chinese New Year, and what happens on the fifteenth day is that the celebrations end, and it's a, because it's a full moon, and it's the is the day that. Um, the Chinese um, population um, would light lanterns to um, commemorate the fifteenth day. We'll have a dinner again, um, and and then um, you know, like cl- take the decorations down, and then we're into the year proper. We're into the year of the rabbit proper. So, so what is it called in China? Ah, in China, they don't even call it the Chinese New Year. They actually just say Spring Festival. Exactly. Or New Year. I mean, we would never say Chinese New Year. No. 
Yeah. And what was the secret thing you showed me that Xinli is crystal? Oh, yeah. So Xinli is China-born and uh, she's based in Norway. And for her, this would be a celebration she knows really, really well. So in the illustrations, you will see. And she's, you know, like she's infused Chinese characters in in there. And there's a part in the first page of uh, the book where she had written in Chinese... Jie, which is Spring Festival. So she's left little clues. Okay. So if you can read Mandarin... Then I'm, I'm, I'm away. So tell me about the Red Lantern. What's the significance of the Red Lantern? So red is a lucky colour. Right. And, um, and it's all got to do again... So the whole, the whole festival, there's a lot of mysticism and mythology around it. Because, you know, it's a festival that, that has been celebrated since the Shang Dynasty, I guess, 3,000-something, 500 years ago. And, and the celebrations haven't, quite, haven't changed as much. We, we, we still uh, use red, we still have bamboo, we still eat the same kind of food with all the symbolisms around the tan- it. The tangerines. The, and the tangerines, which um, symbolise um, um, gold, uh, you know, gold ingots. So that has ne- these ne- have not changed. So red is a lucky colour because um, in the Chinese mythology, um, there is a monster called Nian who is afraid of red. And Nian almost took away the Lunar New Year or the Chinese New Year. So in order for to scare away the, the Nian monster, um, that's why we have firecrackers, we make a lot of noise, and we put the red signs everywhere because... He's afraid of red and he doesn't like noises. So that still it makes logical sense. Yeah. So yeah. that still is you, you know like like is that still the symbolism, right? Why red? Why firecrackers? Yeah. Fireworks. Firecrackers. Fireworks. Because yeah. I think on our kind of uh, Western New Year slash Christmas celebrations are, are about um, the, sort of the the, the light. Mm. It's about it's about the end of the end of the darkness and we start to move into into the lighter lighter times um and so we've conquered the conquered darkness it's kind of it's a light dark thing i suppose it's a northern perhaps it's a northern hemisphere thing yeah more than um more than the western hemisphere but i think that's it's interesting how how different cultures seem to i mean it's the same time of year it's a kind of new beginning isn't it i suppose new new year and all those sort of things but it's um it's, I think it's, it's a light and it's, it's to do with being able to start producing food again. That's <laughs> probably yeah, the main yeah, thing, you know, yeah. is that it's sort of uh, fertility and all those things right. um, in, in our, in our mm. heritage, isn't it? It's about yeah. fertility and, and things. So very interesting. So you've just been doing World Read Aloud Day. Oh, yes. What was that? How, what did you do? Um, so World Read Aloud Day, um, I, I read to schools in the United States online so they sent me a zoom link and all the you know the kids would come on and it was quite interesting i just read books to them and they asked me questions and what did you read i read um i love chinese new year um to a younger class they were um they were in grade two um and then for the grade four i read um um, another book that written um called uh the accidental doctor that's a picture book biographies or non-fiction um, because the teacher actually asked, requested for that. Um, it's published by uh, World Scientific, um, which, off, which has an office here, but it, its main office is in, is in Singapore. Um, so that book is about a, um, 
the first Malay woman who graduated um, a, um, in medical school in in um, in the uh, University of Malaya in 1955. Well, Eva, I've got to say before you go that in both books, one of the things I absolutely loved is the references to food. Oh. Now, I know you're going to do it in a picture book because it's wonderful for small kids, but even in your House of Little Sisters, though it has a dark theme, one of the things I absolutely loved, in fact, to the point of almost dribbling, were things like the beef rendang and other things, all the spices that go into it properly, not nipping to Tesco's and buying a quick beef rendang, you know, off the <laughs> shelf, but everything that's going in. And I wondered if you had ever considered putting some of the recipes in the back of the book. So I've just read one by Jenny Colgan, who tends to put things like currant bun or something like that yeah. in the back of hers. And I would have loved a quick rendang recipe. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think of that. I could have put my family recipe at the back of the book. Um, food is very important to all cultures, right? And in the 1930s, nothing, everything was made by hand. And there was no supermarket that you could go to to buy these things. So, um, so in the House of Little Sisters, the culture that the book is set in is called the Peranakan culture or the Straits Chinese culture, where you know. Um, so, so my culture. I'm a Straits Chinese, um, being that I am ethnic Chinese, but not born in China. I don't have any kind of um, links to China anymore my, at least my because we don't know who our ancestors or where our ancestral village is in China because we are Malayans my, I'm, I'm the sixth generation so my you know so my great 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 grandfather actually came um, to Malaya and settled there so the culture is very food based um, and I couldn't write that book without putting in all the food that um, you know, my main character was cooking because she's she is the the, the cook of of the house, right? and she and she is also an immigrant to Singapore, but she's not ethnic. I mean, she's ethnic Chinese, but not straight Chinese. So she has had to learn all these um, recipes um, herself. So the the book is tries to reflect the multicultural. Um, society that is British Malaya and that is still British Malaya who, who is now which, which, which is now Singapore and Malaysia and mm. if you go there today these foods still exist and people people still cook this way um, although less and less but yeah and for the Chinese New Year there is that reunion dinner that we have every um, New Year Eve um, and that is always, I mean, we always eat the same food like you would for Christmas because all these food mean something. They're all symbolic dishes and we eat it to remember um, the, 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 the festival by and also to remind ourselves that all oh, the, you know, the, the tangerines mean um, good luck. And when, when we exchange it, we are giving luck away. We're also receiving luck. So, it's, you know, it's all about about actually, um, instead of the light that you mentioned um, earlier about um, you know um, the festivals here in in the Western Hemisphere, um, I guess in in the Eastern world, it's all about exchanging good energy. Right? Is mm. that is that um, is the feng shui or the tea 
that we exchange and give back. I think that, Eva, it's been really fascinating. There's loads more we could say, not least being next to David Walliams in <laughs> But we'll, we'll move swiftly on. Well, physically next that. to him or your book was next to his. Yes, said, oh, the, the, yes <laughs> luckily for Eva, it was only the book. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. So that was lovely hearing from Eva. I really enjoyed that. So, Tim, what's coming out next month to look out for? Okay. well, there's a few books coming out in paperback, which I've mentioned before. There's the uh, your favourite author, uh, Murder Before Even Song, um, which is... uh, That sounds Richard Coles. That is the Reverend Richard Coles. Oh, no, that's all right. And uh, he uh, it features his, his new sleuth. Um, the canon David Clement, who's who's a rural vicar, and, uh, no plan B. The new Lee Child, uh, well, new Lee Child and Andrew Child, um, to give his brother, and that's coming out in paperback. French Braid by Anne Tyler, which I really enjoyed. It was a generational um, sort of saga, if you like. Although it's quite short, so it starts in the fifties and goes right up the way up to the present. And it's particularly interesting character Mercy Garrett, who's the sort of matriarch of this of this family, who has sort of decided that she really sort of wants to leave her husband. And so she sort of does, but doesn't really tell him and he doesn't really notice. Uh, and it's, uh, but it's very entertaining. So that's, that's that. Uh, Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, another book I've talked about. Um, that's coming out. It's been a huge seller, this. It's really, uh, I mean, I, it, it's one of those books, a first novel, uh, that's taken the, taken the country by storm. And um, As you said it would. As I said it would, yeah, but that, yeah, that's... I'm going to get one right. If I say enough books are going to, <laughs> are going to be huge, one's going to come through. Um, and uh, that's that's the, the books coming out in paperback. A few books that are new in coming out in hardback um, in, in March. Um, the new, there's a new Donna Leon, uh, her Commissario Brunetti series called Social You Reap. Uh, a new Anne Cleves, which is another Vera. It's a 10th Vera story called, called Rising Tide. Um, and a couple of other interesting books... Um, Sebastian Barry, who who many of you will have, have uh, read over the last I don't know how many years now. He's I think he's a really terrific writer. His book, new book is called Old God's Time, and it's about a retired policeman um, who's rung up by somebody who says what's happened about this case, and he has to go back and and, and look at it. Um, Cuddy by Benjamin Myers. Um, this is a book about the life of Saint Cuthbert. The famous sort of, sort of patron saint of the north of England in in many ways, or especially in the northeast, and um, it's a kind of re-examination of his life. But it's a it's all in sort of partly in in prose and partly in poetry, and uh, interesting interesting concept anyway. That that's coming out um, in March as well. And of course, another book that's coming out this month is Landfall by our very own Susie. So um, next next month, I'll be talking about. What I thought about it. So watch out, Susie. <laughs> I shall cower, but I hope I hope you really enjoy it. I think you might. So moving on to our backlisted book. Now this is completely different, and it weighs a ton. I don't know why I thought I'd do this, except that because of Eva, I was thinking of recipes. Got food on food on the brain. I've got food on the brain. Now this is how to eat the pleasures and principles of good food by Nigella Lawson. And um, it fascinated me how Eva was talking about family recipes and so on, because I think recipe books are so much more 
not only Nigella, as you know, is a very narrative writer. So Richard hates this book because he said, she doesn't give me sufficient instruction. I want to know exactly how much coriander, etc., to have. I don't know why I say coriander. There's hardly any coriander in this, but anyway. Um, more like chocolate, probably, more like with, chocolate. with Nigella. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it's also a repository of memory, not just in the recipes, but I'm looking at this now. It's um, Susan Wilde, Christmas 1998. And this was given to me by my mother shortly before she died. So you've already got that sort of layer. And she bought it for me because she knew I would absolutely love the recipes. I've also got over recipes, um, what we did. So with James and Jules, 30th of the 12th, 99, our own mini millennium was quite good, but blah, 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 blah. So that's a memory I had completely forgotten. And the page is marked by um to susan richard wishing you a merry christmas and happy new year from our godson who'd actually um done a little embroidery christmas Fantastic. tree i've never thought of the idea of actually writing in a cookbook um the, about the occasion when you had it because it, it's such an interesting idea because you know you put in oh when we did this i put an extra spoonful of that in because it makes it you know and, yeah. I, and I write in cookbooks like that do that but, yes but um, to actually write what you were doing when you were oh, there. It's fantastic. I've got... It's absolutely full of them on my favourite sort of recipes. Oh, I've got... This is a good one. Um, 2017, Friday, October the 20th. Robin, Wendy, Tim, Sarah, oldest friends. Um, just before Sarah went to Borneo for five months, as you do, to the orangutan sanctuary. I had completely forgotten because she is no longer his girlfriend. Not a triumph, an odd evening, because now <laughs> I know why. But what did you eat? That's but the question. It, it was, looks like it was cod wrapped in ham and sage and onion lentils and wow. hazelnut cake afterwards. Mm. But um, so I want to read this one. Um, it's hilarious. And Richard will laugh because when I'm left to my own devices, all I ever have, like I did for lunch today, um, is Marmite on toast. But this is actually a recipe for Marmite sandwiches. You may think that giving a recipe for Marmite sandwiches shows I've lost it. I haven't. This isn't a recipe, just a helpful pointer. Unless you like spreading slice after slice of very breakable plastic white bread, and what else are you going to be using first with too hard and hole-making butter and then with the filling, this is what you should do. Cream the butter as if you were making a cake. Use whatever machinery, elevated or basic you prefer. Then add the marmite and beat again briefly. You will have a very soft, very spreadable brownish mass. Not beautiful, but it makes divine sandwiches. There are adults who accompany their children to parties just to get some of these special marmite sandwiches. I know because they phone in advance to make sure they're on the menu. And, and, <laughs> and on and on it goes. But you see how it is. And I think the other reason that I was drawn to that is because, as you know, we had very little money. Um, single mother, you know, working six days a week. And she would make me as a treat marmite sandwiches. That I mean, that wasn't even a treat that was kind of a staple mm -hmm. honestly um but she would always cut them in tiny little shapes maybe even a circle or triangles and things like that to make them especially nice so there's huge memory huge emotion just in the pages of a recipe book Fantastic. and there's even her recipe for christmas cake in there so susie 
it, it's really interesting. A writing it, writing in the book, but obviously they 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 trigger memories for you. The uh, books, and you find that with all sorts of books, or is it just particularly recipe books? <laughs> I think it has to be non-fiction. Um, I wouldn't and never have. I suppose when I was at university, I would write in those fiction books that we were studying because that was just easier to do that but generally speaking I wouldn't ever write in a in a work of fiction. No but I think it's just it's just the triggering effect I think if I'm if I read uh, a bit of a bit of prose of a from a book that I that I read I don't know 20 30 years ago it might just trigger that little memory of, of what I was doing at the time I think. It doesn't so much for me it's I think it's because a work of fiction is a work that exists between the author and the reader. And as the reader ages, i.e. me, I'm bringing a very different emotional heft to it. And so it, it really doesn't. The thing that might is I very often, as I have even here, put little, I don't know, a birthday card from somebody in to mark the place which I maybe haven't gone back to again. Mm. Or, you know, even shopping lists bring back memories. So the artefacts within the book does yeah. or yeah. notes that I make and you know I, I'm a very visual person so one of the things in my cookbooks is uh, splashes of the food that I yes. cooked from the time that's <laughs> certainly one way of remembering that yeah. remembering what page what page yeah. I should be on I can yeah. sign up for that well Tim it's been great I feel really hungry now don't you absolutely so, it's time for some food it's definitely time to <laughs> eat so thank you so much and um yeah until next time that's it from us that's it from me as well and and as as always you can find uh, a, record, a re-recording of this if you haven't heard or any of our backlist things on where you ever get your podcast from You have been listening to Talking Books presented by Susie Wilde and Tim O'Kelly and produced by John Wellsman to the VHS video format. Which author predicted the Apollo moon landing? Who became the youngest winner of the Wimbledon men's singles title? Petersfield's Shine Radio with Ian Crossman. I have quiz questions on all sorts of topics for you to test your general knowledge and see if you can score the magical five out of five. The Brighter Minds Quiz is proudly supported by Churches College. Every Saturday and Sunday night from nine. Petersfield's Shine Radio.